Welcome to the Small Business Wake-Up Call, the twice-weekly podcast that will open your eyes to the kinds of insights you can use to better run your business. Come have your morning Joe with hosts Lonnie Shambi and Stan Simpkins, who have the right recipes and ingredients to easily help you cook up a storm for even your toughest competitor. No lectures, no wasting your time telling you how smart they are, and no bullshit. The Small Business Wake-Up Call is going to make you think, laugh, and help you recognize how much money you've been leaving on the table with advice that'll help you improve your quality of life. Lonnie and Stan are small business veterans who will share their individual war stories and experiences, not only from their own businesses, but also from guiding hundreds of other small business owners in over 100 industries. Head on over to sbvirtualroundtables.com where you can connect with Lonnie and Stan and save yourself some headaches. Grab that second cup of joe, or maybe something a bit stronger, and let's see what's on the menu for today. Welcome to the Small Business Wake-Up Call, and here are your hosts, with cups in hand, Lonnie Shambi and Stan Simpkins. Good morning to our listeners and small business owners. For Stan Simpkins, I'm Lonnie Shambi, and this is the Small Business Wake-Up Call. Today, we're going to talk about the importance of a culture to small business success. Small business culture isn't about signs on a wall or slogans. It usually has some history. Many small business owners started their company after spending previous parts of their career with bigger companies. During that time, they often learned by example what they liked about a company culture and what they disliked. Adding to this, show that how they grew up and personal experiences all framed their value system, ultimately defining how they behave in society and in business. And this usually gets reflected in any business culture they create. In a family business, that just gets amplified. Oh, good morning, everyone. And Lonnie, everyone knows a business culture is framed by the beliefs and the values of its founders and its key people. But it's implemented by how the business operates. No matter what you say, your culture is driven by what you do. And that starts with how you interact with your employees. Your employees are really the window into your market, your customers and your suppliers. A successful culture is multifaceted because it has to embrace these multiple constituencies. Your culture has to be part of everything you stand for and do. In short, you have to walk the talk of your culture. But how do you do it? How do you create a culture that embraces employees, customers, and suppliers while at the same time drive success? And that begins with an atmosphere and a spirit of mutual trust. Respect between and with all employees, which starts at the top of the company with its leadership. The employees are trusted because that's where the culture has taught them. They can work from anywhere and anytime and still get the job done. It's expected and reciprocated. One of my former construction clients line had two partners who simply didn't trust each other. I've never seen that, Stan. Never seen that. Yeah, but it wasn't because they thought they were stealing from each other. But the degree of honesty was really about what the issue was between them. The degree of honesty, if you will, like just white lies or deeper lies. It was evident to the employees and their behaviors towards each other and towards certain employees. They eventually developed into a company with two camps. You can only imagine, Lonnie, the dynamics in that organization. And of course, as is often the case, they, meaning just one of the partners, invited me in to help them solve what they describe as an operational matter. <laughs> Stan, 
This sounds like one of my clients. Go ahead. Keep going. Yeah, well, <laughs> there are many more like this, I'm sure. And I bet our listeners are going, oh, they're watching me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not just Google watching me. <laughs> it didn't take more than a couple employee interviews for me to identify that the reality of the situation was a lot worse than it seemed. It was to say my role went from being an operational effectiveness consultant to really a family therapist. <laughs> oh, and why family therapist, Lonnie? Because I forgot to mention their former husband and wife who continued to work in the business. And by the way, the <laughs> wife was the CEO because the husband wasn't the founder, number one. And in fact, he was more of a geek technician than a true leader. And fortunately, I earned the trust of their team and even the adults in the room, i.e. the owners. And after a year of working with them, it was like almost like a turnaround special like you used to do, Lonnie. And we shored up their expectations and their operations and the finances and convinced the husband, i.e. the ex, to sell his shares to the wife and even help him in his job search, believe it or not. Yeah, that was probably an exception because too often I'm invited in after the waves from the ocean have come crashing in, as you know. Isn't that the case? They bring us in after the lifeboats have already sunk. Yeah. <laughs> While it starts with your employees, though, it means hiring the right ones. A strong group of great teammates. Of course, you want to hire employees with the right experience and background for the job. That goes without saying. But few companies ever really give the proper thought to hiring for cultural fit. What best fits the particular culture and size of your company. One of the most significant business books ever written was Good to Great by Jim Collins, which we've talked about innumerable occasions. He talks about getting the right people on the bus in the right seats. And from his and my experience, two goods equal one great. Rather than having a couple of B performers, it's better to have one A. Not only can it be an economic savings, it can dramatically make your growth curve grow faster. That said, sometimes it's easier to find an A player because many other competing businesses are also recruiting on the cheap. Then again, if an A-level candidate becomes harder to find and more expensive, it's usually worth it. With diverse backgrounds, they bring multiple and more robust viewpoints to the culture. In essence, Hire the best people you possibly can, even if they're better than you. That's what you really want to do. Further, if you're a company whose revenues are around a million dollars, it would be senseless to hire somebody whose background only included Fortune 500 type companies, no matter how deep their experience. They probably couldn't relate to your customers and most likely wouldn't fit your operation. I got a war story for you. I had a client in New Jersey who provided telecom and security products to everyone from the big telcos down to the newbies in the industry. Just about the time the internet was exploding. So you know what was going on there. Their revenue was about $5 million. They'd already hired a CEO who came from, wait for it, wait for it, Hertz Rent-A-Car. Yes, Rent-A-Car Telecom. Yeah, that fits. Not exactly a force in the telco industry. And this guy had never worked for anybody but Fortune 500 companies. And there was not a technology bone in his body. He had zero understanding of the product line. And so you know why I was there. The chairman and largest shareholder was impressed that he had been a big corporate guy. And since the company was public, it was a small public company. I mean, they did that. I don't want to go into all of that, but they shouldn't have been public, but they were. It would impress the market. 
He had few face-to-face encounters with anybody but the largest of customers. Even then, he brought nothing to any sales situation. He was there for about six months when they brought me in as a consultant to see why the company was just marking time. It took me about three or four weeks to give him his walking papers. I spent that time meeting with customers large and small, domestic and overseas, as well as the entire sales force, two-thirds of which were about to jump ship. Most of them took me aside wanting to know why the company had hired the empty suit. That wasn't me. That was the guy we fired. Once he was gone, I stepped into the CEO role, and from there, sales nearly doubled over the next six quarters. Plus, we created a culture that attracted nothing but A players. Well, Lonnie, you know the problem really wasn't the culture. It's just that he didn't have enough outside people working under his org chart. That's what you, you needed more people under the org chart for him. That would have solved the problem. You know that, right? That's right. (laughs) 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 Numbers of people underneath of you are what's important in big company mindsets. And for our listeners who've never been through this experience, you tend to think, well, it's a skill thing. If you haven't been there, you have to really understand this is a perfect example of culture. It's not just business structure or business environment. There is a different mindset develops in these entities, I hate to say. And you wouldn't know it unless you lived through it. It almost seems prejudicial to say it, but it's actually a reality. But it's not just about hiring the right people. You have to create an environment of accountability for employees to succeed, not just the owners. But sometimes this just becomes lip service. I don't know how to say it, but there's more blame than there is accountability, I guess to say. The wagging finger you mentioned, Lonnie, oftentimes, couldn't get that out of my tongue there. But that's really what I'm trying to say. This happens when your team's roles and responsibilities haven't really been clearly defined, or they haven't been given the authority to carry them out, or sometimes it's both. Does this sound like your business, listeners? To have accountability, you need both. Undefined roles or positions without power, they either create an environment of people feeling powerless, or worse, one of finger pointing, like I just said, and finding blame rather than solutions. Stan, this is like double jeopardy for your culture. It drives employees away and ultimately pushes decision-making up the chain, usually right to your desk. With true accountability, job roles and responsibilities are clearly defined, and the authority and sufficient tools to carry out those responsibilities are provided. This is the thing that most everybody misses. Everybody gets the defining roles and responsibilities, but delegating authority to carry those out often eludes small business owners. With a recent client, I was engaged in a Zoom conversation with one of the owners, and he kept getting interrupted by different staff members, asking him questions about several situations with customers and suppliers. And after quizzing him, what I found was he had defined roles and responsibilities very succinctly but he hadn't really given his staff the authority to carry any of them out. So they pushed him up to his desk. How inefficient was that? When I reminds me of a little story I heard once about a boss telling his subordinate, I'm giving you authority and I want you to do your job. Don't be hesitant. And the employee says, well, how would I know if I exceeded my authority? That's why I hold back. And the guy said, well, if I was to punch in the eye, you think you could take the punch? This guy was a pretty strong guy, this employee. And employee said, well, yeah, I think could take the punch. He said, well, then you'll know. 
<laughs> little tongue in cheek there, right? Stanley. For those who have a need for extra clarity or an exceeding thorn, there you go. All right. I would ask you, are your employees engaged and motivated? Do you encourage teamwork and risk-taking where mistakes and failures really become teachable moments than guillotine events, if you will? <laughs> While you're implementing these steps, you should help employees to feel valued and respected and challenged. And that's really what this is about. Because if they're not heard, you're missing an opportunity, a really important opportunity, to make the culture even better. You need to create a forum for them to voice their opinions. You schedule periodic face-to-face meetings, both company-wide often, as well as one-to-one with the owner or their leader, if you will, if possible. And Lonnie and I have used this technique successfully in every single company we've ever been involved in and always pay countless dividends. I don't care who you are. It just works in better understanding both individual employees and the company as a whole. As entrepreneurs, we all remember the old days when it was just you and that first employees, we'll call him Harold. And whatever sales you could eke out, you and Harold were the ones that are out there hitting it. And then as time went on, I hired more Harolds. How many Harolds and old, worn-out processes still exist that have long outlived their usefulness? We have a show of hands here, Larry. Yes. Do we have a show of hands? My hand's up. Is it time for the company to rethink some people who no longer contribute and upgrade some processes like getting a payroll service instead of counting on you to do it? you the owner, or taking a very manual, tedious report creation process that's been around since the company started that could easily be upgraded and be more efficient with a commercial software product. The rest of your team sees this and sees a company looking backward. Lonnie, one of the things that makes owners resident to ask them the hard questions is just reluctance. They may not have the answer, but raising hard questions is just the beginning. Having a management team that listens, considers, and responds, and acts is really where the rubber meets the road in the end. It's what you do, not what you say. And this is where further credibility and trust, we touched on it earlier, is continued. How well does a company not listen and consider an employee's question and how it responds and acts is really where the employee engagement is developed and fostered. That doesn't mean that every question is raised and every question is offered is answered immediately. But that it's even a thoughtful response with an action plan, keyword action plan, or at least a rationale for why it isn't or can't be done. Stan, I'm going to pick up on that in a few minutes. First, we have some words from our favorite sponsor. As a small business owner, you face many challenges. You're not alone. What can be even more stressful is not having someone to talk to who doesn't have their own agenda. What if you could talk? in-depth and confidentially to other small business owners like you on a periodic basis, folks facing the same challenges or who have solved the same problems. The Small Business Virtual Roundtables is the answer for you. Small Business Virtual Roundtables are held monthly for 90 minutes. Membership in each roundtable is limited to 15 people, providing ample time for each member to have their issue addressed by their fellow members. These peer advisory groups are formed to avoid competitive concerns while taking into consideration company size and characteristics that closely match your own business. Need more attention? There is a complimentary 30-minute one-on-one session with the facilitators during the month to seek additional feedback. Monthly membership fees to the Small Business Virtual Roundtables are less than the cost of an hour with your attorney. 
and this is all done without ever leaving your office or home. Just the time savings of avoiding needless driving is worth the cost. New groups of the Small Business Virtual Roundtables are now being formed on a first-come, first-served basis. Ready to sign up? Head to sbvirtualroundtables.com to receive a complimentary invitation to attend up to three meetings. Again, that's sbvirtualroundtables.com. With Small Business Virtual Roundtables, there's no need to go it alone. And now, back to Lonnie and Stan. Have you created an environment where customers want to do business with you? That starts with how employees are treated by the business, and it continues with how employees treat customers. You know your employees are going to treat your customers exactly the way they're treated. Mutual trust and respect for them breeds mutual trust and respect for customers, treating people the way you want to be treated. It means to go the extra mile for customers, just like companies will do for them. And the customer will see and feel that. That's and where Lonnie, the customer... I don't want to cut you off. I'm sorry. Just so we can interject, there's a really important phrase that we use in consulting. We paid a lot of money to learn it. It's called, shit rolls downhill. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. I remember that. Yes. I learned that one real early. And if... You're at the bottom of the hill. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Okay. The important thing here is the customers will, if you go the extra mile, the customer, the customer will see and feel that. That's where customer loyalty to a company begins. Let the people adopt an attitude of customers pay our salaries. That's why they exist, not the other way around. And then love them so much, they never leave. A customer should feel like they are your only customer. So do you get an act on customer feedback at all? Or it just goes right through the window? Do you communicate with those customers frequently enough? Do you have formal customer surveys where they can give honest and direct responses rather than just simple ratings, especially after a new sale or new product release? And if it makes sense for a particular business, maybe think about creating a user group. Now, I realize that doesn't fit every business environment, but there's many where it will, or maybe you didn't think so, and you tried and it actually works out. Or maybe even an executive advisor group, perhaps of some key executives or even selective customers where that's appropriate. And that's to provide you with feedback about your company and your plans. Stan, interesting thing is that you can really leverage that group of key users or customers or however you want to call it. Let me tell you about a very unique situation with a software company I ran. This is the Cliff Notes version. It's a long, drawn-out thing, but you'll get the gist of it. We acquired most of the product line over about a two-year period. That's right. All of the products were acquired. And it was all good stuff, but at the end of the day, none of the technology worked very easily with each other. I used to describe it as this something that goes back a ways, and that is, it reminded me of Woody Allen's family back in the day when he was married to Mia Farrow. All the kids had the same name. None of them looked alike because they adopted everybody. We had a user group, and from it, we created an executive group made up of six senior executives, one from each major customer, and we shared with them our plans to integrate the products into one platform. 
and proposed to them an investment plan where they could drive the functional requirements and therefore have products that fit their respective businesses. And in turn, they would each invest what turned out to be a quarter of a million dollars. They would get a product built pretty much for them, have ongoing input in the development. They'd not only have license-free use of the product, but get royalties on the product up to 125% of their investment over a five-year period. And in turn, we would always have a set of solid reference customers. Better on paper since we got acquired and the acquirer didn't quite have the same synergy as we did. Long story short, sometimes the best laid plans. But you see the overall idea. This can be done if you think about it. Here's a question for you. And that is, think about the other side of things. You have suppliers? Of course you do. Are negotiations a war and you always win? Are all negotiations with suppliers a zero-sum game where there's always a winner and a loser rather than win-win? This kind of macho attitude invariably emanates from the owner. Hey, your values and beliefs drive the culture, positive or negative. And it'll find a way into the mainstream of the company, pushing a lot of external and internal relationships into becoming toxic. Does this sound like how your culture deals with suppliers? Try to make supplier relationships more like partnerships. Remember, suppliers are often small business owners as well as you. Explain to them that your role in their product development or delivery process and their importance to you and your customers. Make them feel like a partner instead of just a vendor. It's amazing when you need to trim your sales price to get a deal, how much a good supplier relationship can help you achieve that. Well, you know, Lonnie, as I listen to you and I listen to even myself as we talk and I go back to some of our previous podcasts, I can't help but think from the viewpoint of our listeners that they're saying, these guys talk like they're saying, now don't forget to eat a balanced diet and have exercise and lose weight. And and they'd be right to say that because we keep saying, we know, you know, everything. If there's a lot of what we've said you haven't known, then I'd wonder how many years of business experience you had. So no, it's not about knowing. It's about doing. Doing. We talk about communication. I'm almost embarrassed to bring this up. So whether it's employees or customers, suppliers, the more communication, the better. Hey, eat your spinach. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Ongoing, consistent communication from top management, both inside, outside the company, is essential, like you don't know that. I'm asking you as listeners, assess what you're doing about it. So you tell me, we know that, we know that. We say politely, respectfully, what are you doing about it? Are you taking stock? Using it as personalized a means as possible, whether it's face-to-face, and when that becomes more available given the current COVID situation, or through video chat, or just telephone. How about just pick up the telephone? We're on our iPhones all day. Why not make the call? Wouldn't that be interesting to make an iPhone from your cell phone on a business call? That would be a surprise to somebody. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Talk about personalized, right? Because it's like a kiss of death to give out your cell phone. You need to do whatever it takes to communicate with employees, customers, and suppliers on a frequent and periodic basis. More important to further deepen those relationships. You got them. Why not deepen them? Use them. Yeah. Yeah. That means like, gosh, 
Let's face it. Look in your contact list. I bet you every one of us has at least twenty-five people. We probably should be having a deeper level of communication with because we're so busy. And by all means, make sure your culture is solidified by your leadership. Reinforce that culture. If it's not something you want to brag about, then it needs some attention. Leaders inspire with great vision, and then they get the great team they put together to follow. In addition, they'll have one focus: the leader's vision, and they drive the company. In that direction. No excuses, no dramas, just solid leadership, management, and teamwork. One of my former clients was a startup. It took us three years to get past what I call the early stage. You've been there, Lonnie, with the work you do. Oh, you know God, that. have I ever. And three years is sometimes a short time, but it's a long time when you're living through it. And there were tons of setbacks and mistakes, including my own, that are common and often unavoidable, especially when a business starts with the most common cause of failure, like inadequate capital. And what did you do? You didn't play dead. That's never You a got case. the customers it's to become scared. investors. Talk about yes. locking it. Exactly. <laughs> Monopoly, exactly. right? Okay. But the bright light to the story is that the founders always really had, it was amazing. It was a wonderful experience. They had the trust of their team and followed my guidance, which is in itself a miracle today, like raising kids and building the culture that was the true equity of their business, having a rock solid culture built on trust and respect and wonderful communications. Note that I didn't say enabling, pandering, or whipping out on making the tough calls when needed regarding underperforming team members. And one of the things that stood out was the genuine humility of the two owners, as well as their willingness to be coached. And as well, the team members felt not only respected and appreciated, but they felt included keyword they felt everyone can think about that word do you feel included you might feel respected we appreciate you and we respect you but you're not really one of us yes no that's a hard one because oftentimes has nothing to do with you but about the employee and yet that's part of your job as leader do you know your people you can't treat them all the same there's not textbook leadership and you can't fake that line you can't fake that stuff no you really can't and it's one of the reasons I look into the heart. And Lonnie, I know you love this. I look into the heart of my clients. I want you to think about that as an owner. Do you know the heart of your clients? Do you know the heart of your employees? Employees, yes. Do you know your own heart? Are you faking it? You say, oh, I'm on the board, but you're faking it. It's not who you are. And that's a whole different subject. So as a consultant, I don't claim to be able to fix broken hearts but sometimes you can inspire people to modify their mindset. We talked about it in our first podcast. Very first podcast. And their behavioral patterns. Exactly. And we're back to it with one of Stan's war stories. This is great. Finally, make the workplace a fun place. I mean, we talked about this several podcasts back, but this last one is a favorite of mine. We talked about it a few episodes back, as I said. And while it may not sound like it has much directly to do with employee engagement, it has everything to do with it. It creates the right environment. When it's challenging and fun at the workplace, it becomes a place employees look forward to coming to and contributing. And that starts at the top with the CEO, owner, whoever's running the show at the office door. And you don't have to be a stand-up comedian like Jerry Seinfeld, but you also don't have to be some stiff who rarely cracks a smile or finds anything humorous. People will react to you. You set the tone more than you know. Periodically, 
Don't be afraid to be silly. It makes you and your company human. Plus, it engages your employees. Several years ago, one of my favorite commercials ever was created for Dos Equis Beer. And it was a series of commercials around the most interesting man in the world. Which used to be you, Lonnie. It was used to be you. He took it was spot. used to be me. Yes, yeah, nice exactly. That's well. right. In the old days. Whose famous tagline was, stay thirsty, my friends. My interpretation of that combination is to always find new and interesting ways to do existing things. That's the essence of keeping a culture fresh. Keep the music playing. Well, Lonnie, we're almost at that bewitching hour. And so I guess I'll recap for our listeners how you grew up, your family, your personal experiences. It all frames your value system. You know that. And the business culture is not only formed by the beliefs and values of the founders and the key people, but it's implemented by how the business operates. Keyword. And while it starts with your employees, it means hiring the right ones and a strong group of teammates. It also continues with creating an environment of accountability for employees to succeed. And that includes communications. Creating a structure for employees to voice their opinions and their creative ideas, which should also include periodic face-to-face meetings. This also helps to assure ongoing and consistent communications with those inside and outside of the company. And it's obviously also important to create an environment where customers want to do business with you. Like, duh. That starts with how employees are treated by the business and extends with how employees treat customers. Because employees, as Lonnie said, will treat the customers exactly the way they're treated. And we can tell you from a lot of experience, it's true. I don't know what other way would it go. If you had a bad day every day from your boss, how are you going to react? You're going to be able to have such self-control that's not going to flow out. They might not think they are, but people tell it. How many times have you gone and said to somebody, have you had a bad day? Yes. <laughs> and they treated you like, what's wrong with you, Mr. Provider? I'm the customer. Exactly. This next one that Lonnie just said, this cannot be underrated. Have a sense of humor. And especially when facing the challenges of all the myriad types you face. It may not solve the challenge, but it can relieve some of the stress and the pressure that everyone's feeling, top to bottom, and even influence their mindset. Stan, a successful culture is more than just catchy words or slogans, more than a simple vision. To create a successful culture, you need to consider three critical constituencies, your employees, your customers, and your suppliers. And you have to live your culture with each one. And your culture is not about what you say. It's about what you do. In short, you have to walk the talk. And it starts with your employees. We want to extend our thanks to all of you for spending your valuable time with us. If you're a new listener, please subscribe at www.sbvirtualroundtables.com or subscribe to the Small Business Wake-Up Call where you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions or want to suggest a topic or even share your war stories, send us a note at info at sbvirtualroundtables.com. As well, feel free to request a guest invitation at one of our virtual roundtables where you can learn from the other seasoned veterans who've experienced this process. Come take a test drive and see where it can take you and your business. 
we allow you three complimentary visits as our guests so you can be confident it's a mutual fit. And we can promise you'll feel like one of the family sooner than you might expect. For Stan Simpkins, this is Lonnie Shambi. Have a great day. You've been listening to the Small Business Wake-Up Call, the podcast providing eye-opening insights and perhaps a caffeine high to better run your business, delivered in Stan Simpkins and Lonnie Shambi's own unique style. Head on over to sbvirtualroundtables.com where you can connect with Lonnie and Stan, subscribe to the show, find more resources, and check out their monthly 90-minute virtual roundtables. Thanks for listening to the Small Business Wake-Up Call.